Come to sunny Prestatin, laughed the girl on the poster, kneeling up on the sand in tautened white satin. Behind her, a hunk of coast, a hotel with palms, seemed to expand from her thighs and spread breast-lifting arms. She was slapped up one day in March, a couple of weeks and her face was snaggle-toothed and boss-eyed, huge tits and a fissured crotch were scored well in, and the space between her legs held scrawls that set her fairly astride at tuberous cock and balls. Autographed Titch Thomas, while someone had used a knife or something to stab right through the moustached lips of her smile. She was too good for this life. Very soon, a great transverse tear left only a hand and some blue. Now, fight cancer is there. Welcome, uh, one and all, to Required Reading, a film podcast. You are listening to episode 10 of said podcast now in uh, double dig and that was a um, rather fine poem reading by my cohort dan hello dan cohort and co-host they're only a, a consonant apart like okay. one letter apart it's interesting yeah. that never thought about that. never thought about that yeah uh yes that was a uh, sunny prestatin by philip larkin Lovely, very lovely it was too. I was going to do um, the the classic, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. And then I found that one and it just really made me laugh. Yeah. But I also, I liked it because uh, of that that image that mm. British holiday posters give. Yeah. And then I think the reality of the way it was defaced and that says much more about the reality of Britain and, and British seaside culture. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it definitely has a, you can hear it echoing. <laughs> <laughs> um, why the hell? Are we? This isn't a poetry this podcast. Isn't a poetry podcast. I hear you say it's because the film that we have um, chosen to base this episode around is a film called Patterson, our contingency film. Uh, our contingency film. Um, it features a poet, um, and we'll get into that a little later. But um, yeah, just to set up what we're doing here, if um, if you don't know. Um, this is a, a podcast in the form of a kind of style book club where we choose a film and we invite you to give us your thoughts on it and we talk about it as well. And the rule is, is that we have to have seen it um, relatively recently, within 24 hours, just to capture that post-movie conversation. So if you've joined us, thank you very much. Uh, there is a prerequisite, as alluded to in the name, that you have seen the film. So um, please, uh, if you haven't seen Patterson, please go and watch it and come back. It's not called optional reading. Optional, not optional reading. Um, and uh, we thank you for doing so. We think it's only a small price to pay. It's on uh, it's on Amazon Prime, which most of you will normally have. So hopefully it doesn't cost you anything. And uh, so very low barrier to entry. So yes, Patterson. Um, Dan, what did you think of the movie Patterson? Patterson is a film of ands and no buts. Oh, yes. It's it's a film that sort of meanders along at its own pace. It is, as some would say, a sort of slice of life film, uh, a week in the life of a man with a very repetitious um, work and life cycle yeah. who finds solace from his monotony in both his... Um, crazily devoted wife and his um, almost guilty love of writing poetry. Mm. Um, 
yeah, it's it's a it's a very easygoing film. It's a very optimistic film. Yeah, um, sort of revels in its own naivety, I, I think, but in a, in a in a in a deliberate way. Yeah, it's a film that I didn't necessarily love as many people did, but mm. I I appreciated it. I don't. I can see that your your typical mainstream moviegoer would see this as a very uneventful, boring, slow film. Mm. I, I thoroughly actually enjoyed it on on that level. Yeah, um, I do have a couple of things that grated with me okay. throughout it, but generally, um, you know, it, it, it's a Jim Jarmusch film, and and you you get what you pay. You for. know what you know what you're getting yourself into if you come into it expecting a Michael Bay film. No, you it's like this is like anti Bay. Yes. Um, filmmaking. How do films like this, like normally, sit with you? I kind of has it. The mumble calls is like the worst name for them. Yes, there's like the sort of anti films or something or some kind of term. I'm sure there's one that I'm totally missing. But it's, it's, films, almost, it's not anti film. It's, it's almost anti drama. Uh, anti plot. Anti plot. You know. Yeah, and, that, and I think I think that's why I say it's a slice of life film. Yeah. Slice, that's what the genre is. It's 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 a very um, naturalistic film that doesn't doesn't rely on typical devices. It creates some anxiety throughout it by introducing stuff, but it never follows through in them. It does that deliberately. It sort of leaves you hanging with a lot of things. And again, that's a very sort of John Mushian thing to do. Uh, case in point, when he's walking the dog Marvin and the gangbangers roll up yeah, and just... They love the dog and they really admire it, and they're just giving him some like friendly advice that it's an expensive dog and could be in you know could be in danger of getting dog napped. Yeah, and again, other films would then go a wacky plot ensues where the dog is then kidnapped and Patterson must put aside his poetry to find the dog that he hates but learns to love. Yeah, that's how I would have done Patterson anyway. Well, um, Jim himself did an interview around sort of the release of the film, and he was. He was talking about it being anti-significant. So there are a few uh, points of this film that are anti-significant on purpose. Mm -hmm. One of those being the the dog mapping sort of side story. So your anxiety, as you say, is built up. You see long lingering shots of the dog. You've just had these run in with these hoodlums and um, completely at odds with, uh, you know, everything else you've seen in the film. But um, there's also the twins um thing um did you notice that and of course film? it was very so, hard to miss you know the, his his wife has a sort of premonition or a dream yeah that they're gonna have twins yeah give birth to twins um and then he can't stop seeing twins after that yeah um and but that's it there is no wider significance no no no, no I, I think what that is is it's almost a visual um it's a visual take on that thing where have you ever you learn a new word yeah and then suddenly you can't stop hearing that word everywhere yeah, yeah, and you yeah, realize yeah. that pr- prior to that you've probably just blanked it out when mm. you're when you're reading or listening because you don't know what it is yeah. but when you discover its meaning suddenly you can't stop hearing that word so it's almost like in this case he hears about his wife's dream and then yeah. he can't stop noticing yeah, yeah. twins everywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, it's something that has its roots in almost all walks of life. I, as a sort of a bass player, 
I listen to songs and to me bass sounds so high in the mix like I can hear really hear mm. it and um you know you you've sort of you know learning the guitar and playing and I bet now when you listen to music guitars are just so much more sort of up in the yeah, mix and so much more in the fore for me it was always vocals and rhythm I was mm. very much into the the drum aspect yeah. of it and that's sort of what I'd tune into yeah uh, and then yeah more recently now I'm picking out guitar yeah. parts because it's the same song hasn't been remixed no like your brain is remixing it's just it what element whole, your ear is you know, tuning into isn't it that whole side of how our brains interpret stuff is a very sort of deep subject but yeah. but you know this i feel does kind of does kind of look at that mm. and then also the um the idea of an anticlimactic anti um what did i refer to as anti-significance um the hold up in the bar the guy pulls a gun oh yes, and yeah there's a whole action move really oh really compelling like you feel that something's happened and then it's revealed to be this toy and just it was all for nothing, basically. Nothing. It was, was just. It was meant happen. to be a grand romantic gesture. Mm. Nothing was ever going to happen. It fired foam darts, and you know. Yeah. And then there's like a little shot of of uh, Patterson as a marine, I think. Yeah, which I, I believe was probably a shot of Adam Driver. Yeah, yeah. Being that he was an actual marine. Yeah. I think it's maybe the second time that's been worked into the plot of something he's been involved in. Oh right, really? Yeah, but um, yeah, I think I think they. I don't know why, but they just like to make a point that he was an ex-marine. And well, it, but you see it after he's disarmed the guy. Yes, immediately. Sometimes after. you're kind of you're asking yourself, "Oh, is you know what is it with this guy? You know, is it some kind of stupid special powers thing?" You know, no, like it's just a, a very casual bit of character development to just drop yeah. in that photo yeah. and realize that he's. It, I mean, it does add another layer in many ways because then you realize that he's settled into this. He's not only a poetic soul, but he's also settled into uh, a mundane routine. But which for him must actually be quite um, therapeutic. Yeah. Um, it's quite meditative. Um, and that, that's with the multiple exposures they use. There was the passing of time every time mm. he does his bus route is almost rendered in a sort of dreamlike state. Yeah, yeah. You catch, you catch these um, snapshots of conversation that he overhears. Um, and then he kind of wills the rest of the day away yeah. almost. That is how it feels, the way his watch moves. Yeah. Um, and and you just see pictures of Patterson, the town itself. Sometimes it's glimmers of mm. glimpses of his of his wife, or just something else around, yeah. around the day. Um, yeah, so you, you feel that that little revelation that he was formerly in the military mm. um, then speaks a lot about how he's now this almost like Hindu cow like yeah. Zen entity that sort of drifts through existence well there's another factoid that feeds into that and the scenes of adam driver driving a bus yes um are real that he did pass his bus license <laughs> to do it so he wanted to um to, it to appear so they could get the shots and get all the stuff without sort of expensive rigs and stuff yeah just was just like i'll just drive the bus and and so that was part of it, which I think worked really well. You know, sometimes I really look for that um, distance of the camera to the street when you can tell that the car's on a... On like a know, rig to... Yeah, yeah like a rig. You can, that, yeah. you can sort of tell. You know, and in some movies, you can actually see the reflection of the rig in, in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Um, but yeah, I thought that I thought that worked really well. I'm going to Paxman you Uh-oh. right now. Take you back to my question. How do these sort of anti, anti-films, these anti... Uh, significance films how do they sit with you normally like harmony korean films or you know oh fine like they're absolutely fine i i I have no umbrage with that yeah type of cinema i mean i'm I'm very always been very open-minded in that Mm. regard i have i have no 
qualms about watching a film where you, you like I say, you are just almost well, you're 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 a fly on a very well edited wall. Um, just watching people going through their daily motions and 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 sort of making the ordinary seem extraordinary by. I should say, not anti-significance. You're not placing significance on anything. Mm. You're just lingering on it a bit longer than you would ever typically linger on it yourself. It's all these things that you just sort of observe and in in passing and yeah. and pay no heed to. And this does a very good job of um, making you pay attention to the small details because that's what he does. That's that's what informs his poetry. Mm. is um the 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 little things in life it's kind of yeah. almost exclusively what everything he he does revolves mm. around is just these little bits he notices and there was a visual poetry of sorts that I thought maybe would feed more into the into his prose and into his stanzas mm. would be you know when he's hearing like the the two kids talking and you see their little feet dangling just mm. off the just off the floor of the bus and things like that i was i was almost waiting in another way for all of these things that he's noticing to then sort of feed back into mm. in into his writing and it, it it was never quite so obvious but i think there was a very deliberate element of going there's there's poetry there's poetry in the the, the minutia of daily life and yeah. just those little details that um you pick out and how he was predisposed with, I guess, helping him while away the 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 monotony of his daily existence mm. by, you know, sitting in a bar and watching these relationships play out and yeah. these these people doing their thing and on the bus and doing this and doing the same again. I didn't really read much on this film because it's kind of against the the policy of this. But one one comment I did notice was that. It was interesting that they put him in a a job where socialising wasn't a strong point of mm. it, because that would have would have would have that would have um, almost revealed too much about his hidden talents. Mm. Only only his wife is aware of what he's capable of or what he what he does. Yeah, um, and you know if he was. Yeah, you know, if you had best mates at work and they were always chatting, and you know, eventually it would come out that he was an intelligent, you know, emotional soul. Mm. But he spends his time taking on the bus duties from the other guy, Donny, who has, uh, at least in terms of his his stories, um, the complete opposite life to Patterson. Yeah, Patterson, yeah. in many ways, despite living a, you know, you get the feeling he's not far off the breadline in terms of his existence, judging mm. by his reactions to when. Uh, Laura, you know, buys the guitar without ever really giving any, yeah, permission. Or mm. you know, he he's ultimately sort of supportive, but there's just a few facial expressions that go, I don't really think we can afford this. Yeah, yeah. Flight I think he plays that really well. In turn, he does it with the pie as well later on. Yeah, there's a sort, there's there's, I mean, and that that that's that's part of my that that's part of the thing that I take umbrage with with the film is right. that. I like its idealistic nature, but there are elements where I go, I, I don't know. It, it just feels sometimes that it's it, everything's almost too right, right. Uh, and and I don't expect there to be like blazing conflicts and drama because again, that's not Jim John Mooch's no. way. But it's it, it's it's all kind of played out very objectively and and non judgmentally. Yeah, uh, and that's that's maybe down to the viewer to interpret 
their relationship the way they see fit and it seems that people really fall on on two sides mm. as, particularly with that i think i think the i think laura as the character for me is the most divisive element of the film yeah because of some some people see her as this oh isn't she just impossibly brilliant and perfect and i love her to bits and everything she does is just so great for her husband and all that um Whereas I just found that that like endlessly positive naivety a little grating, and and in sometimes I found it, what what's the word, not necessarily insincere, but it it was almost like she sometimes felt deeply subservient, and I. I found that that great that riled me a little right. bit, especially when Marvin ruins the the poetry book and she's literally on the floor clutching his leg, saying, "What do you want me to do? Do you yeah. want me to play the guitar? Do you want me to leave the house?" And the the sort of the the pleading and the begging and mm. the that that nine the sort of nineteen fifties housewife is is completely at odds with like my experiences of relationship or what I like about relationships. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that there are aspects of that where it was like, oh, you're brilliant. Everything you do is great. And I'm like, great, supportive wife, fantastic. Mm. Um, but but uh, but often I didn't find it reciprocated as well. That while she was trying to do the cupcake business and that yeah. was her deal, it felt like there were so many talents that she had that he wasn't really saying anything about. It was like, yeah, yeah. she's really artistic. She was designing things. She had all these sort of avenues and she was just staying at home and making his dinner. Right. Ultimately. And I was like, ah, oh, like do something with it. You're always going to pass and do something with your poetry, publish it, do it. Yeah. I always felt like, give it back, man. Say, you should do something. Do something yeah, with yeah, your yeah. art. Do something with your design genius. Like cupcakes is one thing. Cool, yeah. You can make cupcakes, but there's clearly a lot more going on with mm. you. There's there's a lot more going on with, with you and your and and you're out there already. You just need to have an, somewhere to put it out. Um, and yeah, and it it was all, it was all very much sort of. It felt a bit male gazy to me, and that it was like, isn't this the perfect wife? And I'm sort of doing my job, and I'm a lovely guy, and I'm. Making I'm making great poetry, but I'm a hidden genius, and I'm and I'm always procrastinating, and yeah, I, I I felt it was almost too much in worship of him. Yeah, I I'm interested that you've got that point of view on it. I I I disagree. I think that the object of his relationship with his wife is to give you a, like a kind of a Rorschach test of. These things that your partner does that you don't necessarily understand, but it makes them happy. And then you are kind of in support of that regardless. But the way that they've done it in, in such as they presented her in, she's a very, she's a very um, undiluted wife. She throws so much at him in a yeah, such yeah, a short yeah, space yeah. of time. It is overwhelming. But ultimately, I think that you are making these micro decisions on would I, you know, it's obvious that she doesn't stick at anything for too long. She's very flighty. Very flighty yeah. And so he's referring to that, you know, she's doing this cupcake business here and then she's doing the guitar playing here and then she's, you know, and this is all her dream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, he does, you know, crack a smile, but I don't, he, I don't think he's sort of, you know, discouraging of her, you know, she's off on, she's off on it. And he's, oh, no, you no, know, he's and never, he's, you know. No, he and, never says don't do it. That's no. the thing. He never, and yeah, there's a wry smile, but you know, that's, 
that's that's oh, being a, in a relationship. Oh, you. You, yeah. know, you know, definitely. You know, she was, she was veering <clears throat> a little too closely to manic pixie dream girl status. A little dig me. in the ribs every now and then, and there's one particular scene where he does it really well, where he sort of pulls her up on it, and she gets the joke as well. And I think they both have a laugh. I think yeah. they do really get each other. And he says later on when he's explaining how sort of obtuse he is, you know, he doesn't have a phone, he doesn't have, you know, these other things, you know. Um, and he's talking about her, and I think it's really touching. He sort of says, oh, you know, she gets me, you know. Yeah. And, but it's that quintessential guy thing, and I think it's very, actually a little feminist in a way that it's like, it's showcasing that guys say these things, but to other people, mm-hmm. when he could be saying it to his wife, who would appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that's like a little, for me, it was a real message of the film. You know, his outlet for talking, he doesn't really talk at home, because she hardly gives him an, an, an yeah. inch to talk. But when he goes to the bar, he's much more he's much more open and he's much more engaging. Yes. And it's, he spends those points at the bar. He doesn't spend it with her. And I think from that point of view, I think you're asking yourself a lot of questions about the whole, like, going to a pub uh, question, you know, when you're in a relationship, you know. Yeah, you obviously initially went to a pub because it was what adults did. Then you get into the whole, you're you know getting into relationship with mm. people that you meet there then when you're in that relationship and you've built a life and a, and a house there's a certain school of thought that you don't need to go to the pub anymore yet some people it's so entrenched in their dna that yes. they have to keep going to the pub not to disparage it in any way but and i think it's asking questions about that about you know where you spend your free time when you're not doing this this job you come home and you spend some time together but I think it just asks asks some really cool questions, mm. you know, about about relationships, but not really sort of spelling it out. And that's why I think that test of you kind of get out what you put into it in a way. Yeah. That's what what I really liked about the film. I quite liked it when he finally said that he hated the dog as well. Yeah, because that was always bubbling under, and the way she sort of molly coddles the dog, and the way she talks to the dog, you could always see him sort of internally. I mean, Adam Driver's got that brilliant expressive face mm. where he doesn't, he just kind of deadpans it, but you yeah. know, he inside is just going, stop it. Yeah. Like, just fucking stop it. <laughs> so, you know, I think you're getting out what you bring into it yeah. in that terms of, you know, my per- I have personal views about going out and, and, and that kind of thing. I much prefer after sort of working, so work relatively long hours. I really enjoy being in my house. Yes. I really enjoy being in my, and it's taken me a long time, 37 years to get around to actually saying, you know, that, that I, you know, that side of it. And obviously it's a, just a thing that I think about. And again, getting into this movie, because it's sort of in my mind about thinking about going out and should I be going out more or should I be going out, you know, less that when I'm watching the film, it allows me to sort of think about that. And again, it's that idea of seeing twins and then you see twins everywhere. Mm -hmm. If you're kind of thinking about it, maybe you'll get that out of the film. I thought that worked really well. Yeah. Um, Right. Picture, if you will, a church. Okay. I was in one today. It's beautiful. They open the door. You see, I am standing there. You're on the street. Alex, what are you doing at a church? It's the church of Adam Driver. Are you coming in or Hello are you staying outside? I'm, I will enter the church. Yeah? Are you Mainly to admire the stained glass. <laughs> stained glass. Um, I'm certainly not going to be singing any hymns and I'm certainly not going to be praying, but I will no. uh, pay him my respects. Yeah. Yeah, I like Adam and Driver. Yeah, you like Adam Driver. I think, yeah. I think he's pretty cool. I think you he's know. yeah, he's 
he's one of those actors that when I first saw him in Girls, mm. because that's most people's first exposure to him, less than you'd think. Oh, I've, interesting. Um, I've, uh, I've talked to a few people about this one when we were thinking about the film, and, and less people than you think. Obviously, it's quite big for me. It's where I was first introduced and yeah. then that spate of films that he was in you know the Ben Stiller one and the you know yeah these other things, oh, Green, was it Greenberg no 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 the um and the, the, it's the Noah Baumbach one though, yes that, yes yeah and um, while we're young while we're young stupid name doesn't really stick in your memory yeah. but um yeah it was like Star Wars you know it's like Force Awakens That's and then nuts, they've sort of it? gone back and done other things but yeah which is weird because he, I thought he inhabited his character in Girls mm. so brilliantly that I really struggled to imagine him in anything else when mm. it was announced that I was going to be in the Force Awakens like how yeah how and he's and yet he's 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 able to he does that thing where he's almost like a like a Michael Caine or something like that where he never really changes his demeanor mm. that much no he's always like clearly Adam Driver <laughs> But he never really. But that doesn't pull you out of the film as it does with certain other actors who are very much themselves all the time. Um, yeah, and and everything I've seen him, even like his little bits in stuff like um, like Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah, outer space. <laughs> you know, that, that, he just like steals it. Just, yeah, yeah. just doing that that kind of stuff. Well, I think that it links. It's intrinsic in the genre of film that this is, and who you cast in it. That. If you're going to replace plot with character, effectively, mm. if you're going to take away all plot or any sense of narrative or the three act structure, you've got to make damn sure that the you guy need to make sure that the people that you're spending that time with are compelling yeah. and that you want to spend it with. Which is why you know, I think that um, you know the um, Noah Baumbach stuff works really well. He's cast all the people in 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 his film really well, and mm. and the less successful ones are with you know people that kind of come across as dicks. You know yeah. they don't you know, and that, that's why. And um, referring back to Harmony Corrine in, in in his way of doing this film, um, most of his characters, a lot of his characters, are sort of just so compelling that yeah, you just don't mind spending time. They're not compelling in a good or a bad way it's sort of playing with that idea of of that you know and uh, you just can't stop watching yeah you just can't stop yeah and that and that and that epitomizes adam driver is that he's just one of the most watchable actors of the moment in mm. that he's got this amazing blend of sort of charisma um and inscrutability um and all and also that he's just you're always trying to work out his face. He's like, is he yeah. is he good looking? Is he just bizarre? He's like, you can never quite. There's a line in I don't know if you ever watched Glow on Netflix. I've seen the first series. Yeah, in the first series, like Mark Mark Maron says, um, like in the first episode to God, why well, can't I remember her name all of a sudden? But the main Alison Brie. Alison Brie. It says, ah, oh, look at you one minute ago. Oh, would, I, would I fuck her? And then the next one, ah, I, I don't know. You know, and it's just that <laughs> sort of... Adam Driver's like that. Yeah, You're constantly yeah. just like flip-flopping between... He's, he's just got such a characterful face and that, that just makes him so compelling. And especially because he plays such a, a taciturn character as well. Yeah. Um, the, the, his job most of the time is to really just look on and observe the world around him. Hmm. And then deliver poetry in an incredibly sort of staccato style. I mean, I know it's meant to be him writing the words, yeah. but like that staccato delivery um, 
that's a bit that's a bit love hate as well. I I, I I liked it personally, but I can imagine some people. It had an element of the um, of like a Forrest Gump yeahness to it that gave you a. First, you were annoyed that you were listening to the same thing again. Naturally, I feel as a viewer, you're like, okay, so we've already done this one, so we're doing it again. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to add anything new, and then it's very stilted, and I think it gives you that. But overall, I think it works. It definitely yes. is. It is definitely is a bold move. You start. Um, you start looking forward to the next yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. You like, oh, I want to hear the next. And one. there's a period of time where there's no music at all, and the last time you heard music was when there was poetry right. and there's then and there's a real gap and then when it after the visit the with the japanese guy later on is where you hear music and you're getting into it yeah and you're definitely a point in the film it's two hours long and we've talked about that's half an hour too long yeah um that you are feeling i did feel it towards the end but the music really and the poetry came to me and i was just like oh cool this is probably where it's going to wrap up now yes, you know, it's yeah, cool yeah, yeah. I, you know i need a wee or whatever um and it worked really well to <laughs> Because then the you can very pause f- pause things on Amazon, mate. Say again. You can pause pause things. Well, you know, I mean. like you know, but the um, but the very last shot of the film is the first shot, and it's back on Monday again, and you're kind of thinking, are we doing like two weeks now? You know, and yeah. it, then it just finishes, and just the music really helps, really helps with that. Strange, strange little gripe about this film. Total aside, but um, I was watching this with my wife, who's uh, partially deaf. Um, and for some reason, despite this being an Amazon Studios film on yeah. Amazon Prime, it had no subtitles. What? And like watching a you know mumblecore style yeah. film with no subtitles for her was fucking nightmare. Oh wow! What a pain in the ass! Like I don't understand. Oh, that's that's a, a strange, strange minus decision. point. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know what they're playing out there. They seem to be. Very capricious in terms of what they decide. Well, to the Blu-ray is really cheap on Amazon, so that will have subtitles. Yeah, it? so I don't know if she'll watch it again. To be fair, but well, make her do it. <laughs> <laughs> lock, lock the door. <laughs> I have um, the subtitled version now. <laughs> you're not leaving. Until you're not watching Love Island now. So, um, so going back to films of this type that really got me into this. Mm. Um, have you ever seen Trees Lounge? Steve Buscemi? Yeah. No, I haven't. It's very good. And it's basically came to me in a part of my life where I was watching so much Tarantino stuff. And it was on the that turn of, I think this was even around the time of like Con Air and stuff mm. like, you know, and Buscemi is always your favorite guy in those films. Or he, again, he steals the scene, you know, I don't know whether he's necessarily got the Adam Driver has got him in his DNA, but kind of, um, and this is a film that was directed by him and written by him and basically concerns him in this bar called Trees Lounge. Mm. And it's that got that that element to it. And this film really, it does burrow quite heavily from it. Uh, it it's very um, very recommended if you come across it. I don't know how available it is. but um, Yeah, it's not a film I've seen mention of recently. No, I always knew that at the time I wanted to see it. But mm. I, I guess my kind of introduction to this was pretty much I think it was a John Mushroom. I think it was when I went to see I went to see Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai at the cinema right. and it was completely subverting my expectations of what that yeah. film was going to be. Right, right. Um so I sort of had to reset my expectations sort of almost posthumously like I saw it and I was like that that was not the film I thought I was right, going right. to see. And yeah, yeah. it was so John Mushroom. It was yeah. it was very much that vein. And unfortunately Amazon has a very rich catalogue of Jarmusch films yes now. yeah after that come on it's you know Only Lovers Left Alive which I still haven't seen is on there me neither but some of his uh, older stuff like Mystery Tra- Train 
uh, and Dead Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen either, and they're they're all on there. So maybe we should consider revisiting. Yeah, doing a bit of a genre if, retrospective. If if FFS, it's not been taken. It's not off been the taken service. Off. If we may just pause for a second here. Yes. This film that you have been listening to us talk <laughs> about for half an hour is only here because the last film we were going to do, Midnight Run, yep. was cruelly ripped, cruelly ripped from, the service. from the service. Yeah, there's, fortunately there's some good websites that tell you the dates that films are being taken off. And unbeknownst <laughs> to me, he had a few people going, I've been looking for this everywhere, mate. It's not on there. And I was like, it fucking is. Oh, shit, it isn't. Um I just wasn't aware quite how many films oh, yeah. they take off on a monthly basis. It's an, obs- it's an obscene number of films. So if you are in the future listening back to this and you're scrolling through and trying to find Patterson and for whatever reason it's been taken off, I I apologize into the future. I think I think one of the better one of the advantages that um, Amazon Prime has over Netflix is that when a film expires on Prime, I think it tends to continue to be available for rental or purchase. Mm. Whereas obviously Netflix, it just vanishes from yeah, the site and you get no warning. Yeah, it. I think it, it does, sometimes it does pop up again on Amazon if it's come off Netflix. Yeah. And there'll be a period of time and if you basically put it in your watch list and sometimes it flips back to being on Prime. I think um, uh, Sightseers has done that a few times. Yeah. You know that movie, which I still haven't seen. But it, in the time since it's been on my watch list, it's become free paid for and come back to being free again <laughs> so i really need to get around to it i've had a few um, films like that um under the skin i've never seen yeah and that was on prime off off again i don't know if it's come back yet and um a film called wild bill that dexter fletcher directed that's meant oh, to be yeah. excellent and again I've, I've just had those on my watch list for the, the longest time and yeah never never got around to it if only this podcast existed back then alex so if you are um you have downloaded this podcast expecting it to be about midnight run and you didn't listen to the start you'd be mightily confused yeah. hopefully um, the hopefully the uh, the image and the title of the podcast will <laughs> but anyway midnight <laughs> yes. runs a really good film so is, is it, it? Yeah. oh cool yeah I'll, I'll be sure to do that um, um okay to rip you back well, to... yes well i was going to ask a question about it oh. which was about the various um incidental characters that he runs into mm. Uh, one of my favourites being the the short cameo from Method Man. Yes. Um, who I spotted before he was even on screen because he's got such a distinctive um, flow and and cadence. Tombra. Tombra, yeah, cadence. That I was like, is that Method Man? Yeah. It's fucking Method Man. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, and he's just doing his little practice bit and his... I like the the fact that throughout it, Patterson was running, in, was running into poets of other mm. sorts. Yeah. Uh, throughout and that yeah his sort of little running with him where he's clearly like in awe of him doing it it's it's so simultaneously privately and publicly right like in a laundry on his own sort of thing and no one's there yeah but but without any sort of shame yeah, yeah. whereas he does all of his poetry in a secret book in the basement amidst mm. all the clutter you know, away from away from view very clearly very rarely even sharing it with his own wife as well yeah she she didn't have a chance to read anything he'd written over the course of that week yeah yeah um to put it on record as well i don't i haven't ha- i haven't read this at all or it might be very well known about this film is that did wh- what did you feel about the um dog ripping up the book scene i read it as he left it upstairs so the dog would rip it up so he wouldn't have to photocopy 
the pages for his wife. He obviously doesn't want to do it right from early um, on. Um, no, 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 because he was very upset. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of there's. I think there's a read of it. I don't know. It's just, it could be no, me I, retrofitting I, it. I, but... No, I, I see that as well because there's a point where he's he's kind of given up, and it's almost like has he given up after the book's ripped up, or has he given up before the book's ripped up? I think that I don't know whether he's given up. I just think that he was never intending to really properly share it, and his wife is kind of has backed him into a corner of doing it. He I, hasn't quite processed I, I how guess, he feels about it. I guess. And he, whether he meant it intentionally, but he was more careless with his precious book than he normally would have been because he normally keeps it downstairs. Yeah, and, I, don't, I don't know if he was like swept up by the moment of being taken out to dinner or that because if you see, you know, reading into the wider film, his, his film is made up of routine. Yeah. And the offer of going to dinner in a film was a real break from that mm. routine. Yeah. And so at the, the moment he broke from that routine, the things he usually did in terms of the safekeeping of his book and all of that was all thrown into disarray. Because yeah. that's what happens when you're sort of like, oh, he was like, oh, should I get a shirt? And he was he was yeah, completely yeah. in disarray. He didn't know what to do. So there is that element of it. But when he talks to the, 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 the Japanese guy, he says, oh, I'm a bus driver. Mm. He, he, he sort of says, no, I'm nothing. I'm not. He yeah, says, yeah. are you a poet? He's like, no, I'm not a poet. I'm a bus driver. Whereas before, I think he expressed that he had a lot, you know, an interest in poetry and things like that. Uh, it almost felt like the destruction of the book. And as I say, it was, you know, the destruction of the book was either a sign that was like, fuck, I've lost it all. Yeah. I'm, I'm packing it in. Or as you say, mm. did he leave it there to be destroyed because he was already at that point where I was like, I'm packing it in. But it didn't feel like that to me. There was nothing else of any of any significance there's that word again up to that point where he was writing where it felt like he suddenly just decided to sort of get rid of it or not you know expose his work to the world so but it's 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 an interesting take i think i I think i'm more even going to go even deeper than it that 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 he gets rid of the book but he's not considering stopping at all it's just that the parameters of sharing was what was up for grabs here yeah and that he just isn't willing to engage with it like i totally get it you know his creative thing and i think that he's going to carry on no but he does but he only does because he has to use the book that the japanese guy gave yeah but that's he he didn't know that was going to happen he he has this profound he's a fortuitous in this profound conversation with this japanese guy who reminds him of the poetry he loves and how much he knows about it and how much he loves the area yeah and then gives him the book and goes aha because he knows, he sees the reaction yeah, yeah, yeah. that he gets when he gets that book to to put ideas into the empty page. And I think I think his moment at the waterfall is a real moment of uh, reflection. That's his favourite spot, and he's sitting there to really just like think mm. about what he's doing. Yeah, uh, and if it wasn't for that chance encounter, I think he might have just packed it in mm. it felt like it, it, yeah. he, he needed that kick up the arse and often and this and this is a bit of a truism is that when you have someone close to you who loves you they're, they're always going to say that what you do is great yeah and so that starts to lose um it starts to lose meaning a little bit. You don't really believe them you just yeah. believe they're saying that to sort of placate you and just keep you happy and often that's not true they genuinely do like what you do but there's nothing better than talking to someone you don't know yeah who objectively tells you that 
you're you're good or what yeah, you're yeah, into yeah. is interesting or something that gives you way more of a boost because you know that's Isn't that mad though but it, it's because it's coming from a pure place of i know nothing about your life I have no interest in necessarily getting to know you as a person. Yeah. I don't care what happens to you after this, but I, I like what you've done. Yeah, yeah. And that's because whether it's grounded in positive or negative sentiment, the fact that it's almost grounded in sort of uh, from an almost entirely neutral backing means that mm. that's a raw sort of unfiltered view on, on what you do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people are affected, you know, get that classic thing of like, you get 100 comments, 99 are positive and one's negative. Yeah. And the negative one is the one you pick on. But the only, the only reason that the negative one will stick with you is often if it gets to the core of an insecurity that you already have about your work. Like someone yeah. is going, oh, this is shit or this is, this is well gay or something You're able like to that. Filter it out. You just go, well, that's just not constructive. But if someone puts a hole straight through like, something you worry about when you do something and you go oh fuck that's yeah uh, someone's seen it they're actually perceptive enough to have spotted it then that can really cut you to the quick i have that when people say i'm too beautiful yes i'm like yeah yeah i yeah oh, they've, they've figured i don't it out. say it anymore yeah. because yeah, i know yeah. you just I don't know, trust yeah. my judgment no, anymore yeah, absolutely. no uh, well, that's no. you know that's an interesting take i think that you know there's definitely themes of how do you define success at something? She's his uh, Laura is very flighty about these things that she's doing, mm. and her measure of success is: oh, this cupcake business is going to be huge, and I'm going to get rich from cupcakes. And if she makes two hundred quid, arguably taking away her ingredients and her time probably has close to broken even after they've gone out for a pizza. Mm-hmm. But she considers that a great success. Was was it a success? If it's within your realms of how you're quantifying success yeah it's a success Mm. and i think that the movie talks around that about the idea of being a poet what is being a poet to patterson is it the fact that he just writes and that these things exist or is it in the reactions of other people and is he ready for the good bad of that you know and that thing of any creative has an element of you know, even if you're a DJ, you have an element of you're not writing the music, but you're presenting your taste out there in a certain way. Yeah. And you're asking people to believe in your taste of things, you know, right down to the to a writer, right to a, you know, any way. And I think the movie sort of talks about that in kind of quite an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Like, quick, um, cameo, the two kids Bow. on the um, on the bus, the boy and the girl. Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's a good little. It's funny actually because Wes Anderson is is in some ways he feels more like a a try-hard Jim Jarmusch. Like, I love Wes Anderson. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I watched I Love Dogs the other day and I, I fucking loved it. But it's everything is so engineered mm. and finely crafted, and Jim's world is so sloppy, loose, loose, and just you know feels natural and it's like i i guess there's there must be some form of mutual admiration mm. between the two because they do have such immediately identifiable approaches to, to to filmmaking but um everything in wes anderson's world feel deeply contrived yeah but knowingly contrived in a way that's like nobody talks like that no, nothing is that meticulously yeah. constructed this is this is very much, you know, less an auteur, more an architect to play mm. when he when he makes his films. Um, whereas Jim Jarmusch is just like the the 
the the sloppy brother who's just like ah, whatever, just check it up. And and there's, and there's you know it's it's considered sloppiness if you know what I mean. He knows mm. what he's doing very you know very well knows what he's doing, but it never feels quite so uh, quite so contrived. It 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 feels a lot more um, genuine in its in its sort of love and appreciation of the mundane. Have you seen the um, Bill Murray Broken Flowers? Um, film? Yes. Um, isn't it funny that I mean I'm not I'm, I'm not a a massive fan of Broken Flowers as much. I I no. much prefer his work with Wes Anderson. Isn't it funny that he's an improvisational kind of guy? You know all the stuff he did in Ghostbusters, and yeah. he existed better in the Wes Anderson kind of mold of maybe building construct around him. You know, which again does go back to the Ghostbusters thing that he's just allowed to riff. Mm-hmm. But when he's given a whole movie and a whole universe and a whole project. It sort of doesn't come across as well. Have you seen? You know, sorry, you have seen it. I have seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think of it? It's, it's. Yeah, I, 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 have very little memory of it. Mm. it such, such little impact did it have on yeah, me? I it's found quite it depressing. Yeah, you know, and it's quite, you know, quite dark. And you know, obviously, Bill Murray brings darkness to you know his performances, but here it's just just kind of too. I don't know, maybe a bit too much. I, I mm. guess I maybe I wasn't. I hadn't quite a taste, and maybe I'm now. Maybe I should go and revisit. I haven't seen it in years, but yeah, I, I remember it quite vividly. You know? I, never, I never saw coffee and cigarettes either. Oh, that's really good. That's um, that's quite a um. Again, it's really like playing with the convention of a, what a film is. It's a weird documentary. It's just a string something. of vignettes, yeah, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's quite. It's it's definitely worth um, definitely worth watching. Um, right. Mm. Mid discussion quiz time. Feels like we're close to end of discussion quiz time. Right, so coming to the end of our discussion, I'm going to do the um, our quiz. It is a poetry quiz. That was a tut. That was me smacking my lips. It is a poetry in films quiz. Oh, Christ. now I did try this out on my. <laughs> Can we do wife. horror taglines again, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried it out on my wife, and it had varying degrees of success. Right. But, so I decided to put in a multiple choice. Oh, thank Christ. Okay. Thank the maker. So I've got quite a lot of reading to do here. So you just need to tell me this 10 bits of poetry. You need to tell me what film it's from. Um, uh, well, I mean, we were, I was going to do two tiers of points, but let's just go straight to the... like name one film that's got poetry in it. Go on. I think you just get yourself into it. All right, all like right, kind right. of relax your mind. All Some right. of these are quite, uh, you know, you should be able to get. Mind massage. The wretch, consented all in self, living shall forfeit fair renown, and doubly dying shall go down to the vile dust from whence he sprung, unwept, unhonoured, and unsung. That was My Native Land by uh, Sir Walter Scott, by the way. Okay. Your choices are Groundhog Day. Ghostbusters, or four weddings and a funeral. Oh God! Uh, is it Groundhog Day? It is Groundhog Day. Is it Day. The, the poem that he recites? It's what she says to him That's... in the in the restaurant when he's yes. eating so much. Yes, because he talks about um, French poetry later on. Yes, she refers to him at like their lowest ebb, you know, and then he builds up from there, and that's yeah, what starts their relationship. Does, you know, it's very very cool. Um, so yeah, so number one, so you got one. Woo-hoo. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. 
you uh, have the choice of Inception, Interstellar, or iRobot. Still haven't seen Interstellar. Um, you still haven't seen Interstellar. No. Well, it's Interstellar, I and everyone myself, should probably be screaming. Bring, bring myself to some reason, but yeah, Interstellar. Do not go gentle into that good night. Well, that's it. I, 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 Old age should burn <laughs> and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. That's a, and it's it is. That's a really good Matthew McConaughey impression. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dan. Um, the next next one. So I don't know whether to give you that one. I think let's just say two for two because you. Was, it was the first movie you said. I was going to say. So um, you like, haven't seen it because it wasn't the other two. Okay. But all the clocks in the city began to whir and chime. Oh, let not time deceive you. You cannot conquer time. In headaches and in worry, vaguely life leaks away, and time will have his fancy tomorrow or today. That is Auden, and as I walked out one evening, you have a choice of boyhood, before sunrise, or Gattaca. Oh, God. Going for the Ethan Hawke connection. I'm going to say boyhood. Face before sunrise. Shit. Um, but never mind. Only because of the nature of the passing of time in that film, I thought. Well, time passing is quite big. Yes. Form in there. Yeah. His films. Fiery, the angels rose, and as they rose, deep thunder rolled around their shores, indignant burning with the fires of Orc. That's a William Blake and America, a prophecy. And you have Alien, Outlander, or Blade Runner. William Blake. Fiery, the angels rose, and as they rose, deep thunder rolled around their shores, indignant, burning with the fires of Orc. Um, Outlander sticks out quite a lot there. I don't know if I want to say it's Outlander. Blade Runner. I thought it was, but I was was going to say Outlander just because it was just really incongruous. So that's two out of four. It was fucking Blade Runner. What the hell am I saying? (laughs) (sighs) Would you like to cheat and take that one again? No, it's fine. (laughs) Very, very honourable of you, Daniel. Fine. Okay. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately (laughs) pleasure dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. That is Coleridge and Kublai Khan, and you have a choice of Citizen Kane, The Third Man, or Metropolis. Oh, it's not what I thought it was at all. I definitely don't know this. This is um, from Citizen Kane. I was about to well, give me a chance to guess. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Citizen Kane. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> that is what I was going to say. You were going to say I that. Okay, cool. Say All that. right, then. Yeah, Let's yeah, say yeah. three. Three out of five. But yeah, total, total guess, though. Okay. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men. Leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass. Or rat's feet over broken glass, in our dry cellar, shape without form, shade without colour, paralysed force, gesture without motion. T.S. Eliot and The Hollow Men. 
and you can choose from Hamburger Hill, Dog Day Afternoon, or Apocalypse Now. I'll say Apocalypse Now. We are the Hollow Men. Yeah. We are the Stuff Men. So it's doing his voice from another film. Yeah, in that film. In that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were right. It's that Apocalypse was Marlon now. Brando in The Godfather yeah. in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> so how many is that now? I think it's four. Where is fancy bread? In the heart or in the head? Shakespeare from The Merchant of Venice. Is that from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or the Iron Giant? Uh, I want to say Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. It is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Fuck the other one. Because fuck the other one. That's officially the answer. Um, He woke her then and trembling and obedient, she ate that burning heart out of his hand. Weeping, I saw him then depart from me. Could he daily feel a stab of hunger for her, find nourishment in the very sight of her? I think so. But would she see through the bars of his plight and ache for him? This is from Dante Alighieri. Alighieri. You get to mention in Patterson. There's a picture of him in uh, his lunchbox one time. There is. It's either from Red Dragon, Hannibal, or The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, shit. <laughs> Where? Um, are they called Red Dragon in um, Tropic Thunder? It always makes me think of that. Oh, I don't remember. Oh yeah. Um, sorry, I am. I digress. No, no. Uh, it's cool. um, I'm going to say Silence of the Lambs. It was Hannibal. Mm. Um, I've Rubbish. lost all. I've lost all sense of how many you've got now. Sorry. Flawless so far, I think. Yes, I think so. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I think that I shall never see as poem as lovely as a tree, a tree whose branches were wide and strong. That is either from <laughs> Superman Two, yep, Batman, or Dick Tracy. <laughs> it was Superman Two. Superman Two. Yeah, Batman. As in the Tim Burton Batman. Or Dick Tracy. Well, I cannot remember a single thing about Dick Tracy. Um, Superman 2. Correct. It is. It's when um, it's a crystal in the Fortress of Solitude. Um, he puts oh. it in and a little hologram comes up and goes, I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely. It's yes. like his... Um, like, uh, it's basically the Superman internet that you can search for things. The on. Kryptonian interwebs. Yes. Um, and the last one, so I think you're on five. I think this has been sure. relatively... I, um, I, I think I'm on eight. You yeah. think you're on eight? <laughs> you could well be. I don't Sorry, I'm know. the worst, uh, I'm the worst uh, question. Sorry, I've got loud. I just noticed I've been very quiet I've been facing away from the mic. If you were a bird and lived on high, you'd lean on the wind when the wind came by. You'd say to the wind when it took you away, that's where I wanted to go today. Where am I going? I don't quite know. What does it matter where people go? Down to the wood where the bluebells grow. Anywhere, anywhere. I don't know. 
you have the choice. Who's that by? It's by A.A. A. Milne. I thought so. It's called Spring Morning. Mm. And it was either from Kindergarten Cop, <laughs> Jingle All the Way, Duma. or Junior. Oh. I'm going to say Kindergarten Cop. And you would be correct. Yeah. That's the poem he says to the children to make yes, them go to sleep. Yes. Well, I think... I'm very, I'm very upset you didn't do it in the Schwarzenegger. Well, one. I thought, yeah, I thought maybe I'd done enough um, Hopkins early on to uh, <laughs> to um, keep my uh, hat in with my impressions. Um, yes, well, well done. Cool, that was pretty good. I think Thanks for the multiple good. choices. Well, I thought that maybe it would be better, and I think I managed to get some comedy in there. <laughs> Imagine if it was Jingle All the Way. That would be hilarious. Would be hilarious, but I just. Put it in everyone's mind. <laughs> um, so yes, there we go. We shall bring to the end uh, our discussion of the of the movie. Uh, I've I've got a thumbs up. I have a thumb up. You do have a thumbs up. Yes. So it's another McCartney. Oh, it's another McCartney. It's another McCartney. Yeah. Okay. Good. No. 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 I thought that maybe you'd be. No. 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 Like know. no. Overall, I still had a very good time with it. Yeah. And once again, you know, you you find. You sometimes enjoy or hate things more the more you yeah. talk about them, and I think in this case, I found I liked it a lot more. Yeah, having now expressed my sentiments, yes, aloud, yes. Oh no, and and they're very very warmly received. I think we should go to um... <laughs> accidental partridge. <laughs> no, it was very intentional. <laughs> was it very um, warmly received? Um, uh, I we have uh, Chris and um. And James have given us their reviews. Oh yes, and I would like to give them the uh, the final say because I have been very aware that we do say we do um, put their reviews out there and then kind of have our say on them, and they don't get to do a response to us. No. So if we do those at the end, then they've had the final say. True. And let's do it in chronological order of who sent it first. Have you got Chris's? I will find Chris's. I've got James's. Do James's. I'll find Chris's. I've also got a bonus one, which is quite Ooh. odd. Um, it's from Mark Atansky, who says, I remember watching it and thinking it was quite nice, like Twin Peaks for people who don't like David Lynch. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so in the interest of full disclosure... It was it was James that put us on to watch this in lieu of Midnight Run because it was he that discovered that Midnight Run was no longer uh, part of the Netflix catalogue. Mm. And we had talked about this film prior because he's a huge fan of it. So right. I've basically spoiled his review there. He likes it. Um, but he said, plotless, slow and boring. Just some of the words I've heard said about this movie. Totally wrong, Nash. Oh, I see how he messed with our expectations Whoa. there. Whoa, James. Bait and switch. Whoa. This is a lovely film. I've seen it twice. It may be the most personal film I've ever seen. Despite the obvious vocational similarities, I've driven trains for nearly two decades. It's not necessarily that I see myself in Patterson. It's more that I aspire to be more like him. Yeah. Seeing beauty and joy in the mundane. Not assuming the worst. Not pissing on people's chips just because they're different. Finding perpetual contentedness. This is a beautifully crafted, funny, and unique movie. It's a love story that avoids all the usual Hollywood trappings. Driver is utterly captivating. His stunning wife should be irksome, but somehow avoids it. Debatable. I fucking love this movie. Excellent. I, you know, the 
editorialising debatable Sorry. aside, um, <laughs> I um, totally agree. And Chris's review is in response to James calling it lovely. And Chris says, yep, lovely is the perfect word for it. I was struck by how rare it felt to see such a happy, functioning relationship on screen and how it's one accidental disaster, while comparatively minor in the pantheon of cinematic tragedies, feels completely devastating. Great. Great. No, I thought it was um, it was very lovely to have people send us stuff. It really... Um, lucky that I agree with all of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, thank you very much. Otherwise and, you would be banned from the podcast. Otherwise you would be banned and I'd get my edit scissors out, my virtual scissors, just a right click instead of a left click. It's all it takes. You're a despot, man. You're a despot. I will not. I will not do so. Um, so I think that there's something I want to talk about in a kind of newsy way. Um, so I would like to bring back our new section. I brought back the quiz. Yes, you did. I'm now going to bring back the new section. Which well, we, you know, Birdman um, got quite in depth, didn't it? We we we, we, we got eschewed. a lot out of Birdman, so we eschewed all of our regular features. But um, we put two eschews on. I say regular features, but you know, yeah. And well, there are two things. First, um, and one's a bigger discussion point than the other. You look about it as you're about to say something. Oh. Ah, cool. I'm waiting um, to say so, something. According to Deadline, Neil Blomkamp has signed on to direct Robocop Returns. Yes. MGM. Unique in the fact that it's based off a script that was written by the original writers, pitched back in the 80s, but never never happened. And obviously, this is his second attempt at coming at a franchise after, after Alien. After what right. happened with Alien. Yep. And Robocop looks like what will be his project. And I'm a very big fan of his from his first film. Not so much the others, but you know, still holding on. For... Have you watched any of his short films that he did through his own studio? Yes, I've not seen those. Yes, and um, I'm really excited for for this uh, film because Robocop is for me. Um, I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. Robocop for me is firmly in a ten out of ten. Vault oh for yeah, me. yeah, you know, yeah. like he's absolutely ten out of ten. It's flawless. It, and and I, and I mean it in almost every sense of the word, from casting to the look of it, um, the, the the grain of the of the film, just the way that they um, came at the future in a way that wasn't as um, dystopian as, um, although it has its dystopian elements to it, it wasn't as more dirty. recognizably dystopian. Yeah, it wasn't dirty like uh, Blade Runner or everything where you think, oh god, I don't really want to live there. Yeah, it wasn't. There's... It wasn't a near future where they assumed that architects miraculously had figured out how to construct buildings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like um, in the year twenty thirty, entire cities would have been re- rebuilt from the ground up. It's like, now nah, fuck off, mate. And it's got a very good mechanic that it's talking about the regeneration of. Detroit so you can yeah. still have old elements to it and the new and just you know the little bits just perfectly meld together from the um, uh, Miguel Ferrer um, who I it's one of my favourite character actors the, um, the the young guy I forget his name the um, the guy that um, what, the one at OCP who's um, the young guy yeah, that gets shot eventually you yeah. know and it, with the famous scene in the bathroom where he's talking about the, um, the old guy yeah. and he's 
having a wee and you know just that really well put it's together like one time I even called him an asshole or whatever yeah. it was yeah or because also one of my favourite um, dubbed for TV films oh as well. yeah amazing in one yeah. bad so oh, one crusher. time I even called him an airhead yeah things yeah. like that or when the yeah. guy's going fuck you or fuck me when he's like shooting Robocop he's going why me why me I, I genuinely Brilliant. feel Robocop is you know um, I don't know whether you get this or whether you're kind of um, whether you'll think it too but when I'm 64 by the Beatles yes to me feels like a kind of a folk song it doesn't feel like it belongs to the Beatles in a way it's like I've heard it out of the context of the Beatles. Oh, I originally so, heard yeah. it out of context. We used to sing it at school, really, yeah. in assembly. And it's like when I found out it was a Beatles song, I'm like, that's bad. No, it's not. You know, and yeah. they covered it or something, or um, Mr. Tambourine Man by Bob Dylan. I kind of feel that Robocop is one of those ones that just is in our fabric, you know, and so I'm very interested to see what he's going to do. Oh, for, our, for our generation, certainly as well, because it was it was one of those films that, whether, whether wittingly or un, mm. um, just spoke to like eight-year-old boys. Well, it was in that it was in that video level. nasty generation. I don't remember it being banned or anything, but I definitely remember watching it and thinking, "Oh my god!" Brother, I think it's because the character was so Saturday morning cartoon. Mm. Like you saw RoboCop's design and that picture of him coming out of the Detroit police car. Yeah. Um, kind of lit by the lights in such a way that when I saw the film, I was like, "Oh, why isn't he pink? I thought right. he was slightly pink, like he's yeah, in the yeah, picture, yeah. and he's oh, clearly not." Um, but everything about his design and his look was so fucking iconic that as a kid you were like I need to see this film and then obviously there was the kid who'd seen it it's like oh and a guy's hand explodes and a guy <laughs> melts in acid yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like no I have to see this film yeah um, and it also made me realise there were certain elements of it that when you're a kid when, when adults kind of worry about things that might have impacts on kids especially on the sexual side there's, there's elements where because you have no comprehension of what's actually going on you just sort of bypass it. So when he's like doing coke off that, like because mm. tits, or whatever, I had no fucking idea what was going on. Yeah, at that yeah, point. yeah. I was just like, that, that, that's something that's yeah, happening yeah. with involving boobies. Get get back to the shooting the bad guys and putting a spike in a guy's face. Well, um, later on, uh, Bodica sniffs some wine. Yes, and this was before I had was drinking wine, before any of those kind of things, and he sort of sniffs up some wine, and even to this day, what what who the hell wrote that? Like, what was the, you know, I was expecting to get older and go like, I'll find out why he did it. <laughs> and now it's still none the wiser. It's, it's just still a little just character a really tick, isn't it? insane yeah. thing that this guy does. He's so jacked that he's fine with doing that. You know, yeah. um, I just, you know, it, and, and just that video nasty side to it where you just felt that you were kind of a bit naughty by watching it and just the way it all plays out. And then it's got that nod to old, is it, um, is it Harryhausen animation? Yeah, we were there 209. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and 100%. it's got that, you remember that way that things moved from Sinbad or you remembered them yeah. from the um, Wrath of the Titans or Clash yeah, of the Titans. Clash of the Titans and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason you know, Gold, and so you kind of have like all these bits that Jason come the Argonauts, yeah, yeah. One, yes. That you come in, in, in such kind of a cool way yeah. and goes into you. So I'm very cool. interested cool. to see what he can. Cool. Yeah, I learned, yeah. He can bring I, to I, it. I have the X-rated uh, American cut of that which doesn't really amount to much except that that scene where he malfunctions, where Ed 209 malfunctions, mm. just goes on a little bit longer and there's just an obscene amount of squibs in that guy's suit yeah. as he just yeah, gets yeah, shot yeah. to shit. Um, another thing I'd like to bring up as well, it's a tangent, so stick with me. Baby Driver. Y- yes. I still feel like we haven't talked about Robocop Remastered Returns yet. We'll, we'll get around to it. <laughs> in the new Robocop, 
movie, the yes. Joel Kinnaman uh, Robocop movie, oh, an atrocity in yeah, most it ways. Really is. It has a shootout scene early on that um, oh to to Hocus Pocus yes, um, but it's like I in the, this in the in all the hyperbole haha hyperbole. of um, of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Of uh, you can't help can't, yourself. Can't help but correct me. I've already done this with I you. I know. I know what it is. I'm such a pendant. That's my problem. <laughs> um, that no one brought up that just what three years earlier there had been a shootout in time to Hocus Pocus. Uh, is it Focus by Hocus Pocus? Is it Focus? Is it something like that. <laughs> but anyway, the song. You know, and anyway, never brought up, and that was the connection no. with Robocop. Just my that's agenda. When they're, that's when they're sort of testing him out and yeah. he's been a sort of brother, like robot, yeah. the droids or whatever. With the, Fucking um, hell, that film was shit. It was really bad. It was in almost I watched every it respect. fairly recently because I remember I was, I'd half watched it in a feverish state when I was ill and even then I was like, I can't even do this. Yeah. And then it was on E4 or something in passing. I was like, right, I've, I've got to put myself through this and just, it's just another one of those classic reboots, like the, the Total Recall one they did where they just utterly misunderstand yeah, yeah. what made the original so great and also pandering to this studio driven directive to make them PG-13 which again fundamentally pulls away from why but it's got Keaton in it and Gary Oldman and Samuel L. Jackson but you're, and, you're, you're, you you're, know. you're trying to create sanitised versions of Paul Verhoeven films yeah. it's like you're, you're on a losing yeah you know you're on a losing track straight away because yeah, yeah. you, you can't you can't dilute Verhoeven like Sex and violence in his films, as we've discovered with L, mm. is so fundamental to what makes those films great. Yeah. Like Robocop would have been iconic because of the suit, but the reason you stuck with it is because everything else yeah. around that was just so fucking well done. Yeah, yeah. So Robocop returns. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm cautious. I'm I'm kind of cautiously optimistic, as you say. Neil Blomkamp's um, performance post District Nine hasn't been. It's been a case of diminishing returns, really, um, to the point that I haven't even seen Chappie. Maybe Chappie's maybe, worth a watch. Maybe I should watch that. Yeah, um, I think Elysium's the one that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Elysium's not as bad as I think. I think it was just too much Matt Damon, and. That really suffers from the, not that it's the same in what we're talking about this film, but if you're going to do a film of that type, the character that we're spending all this time with, you need to be on board with him, you need to like him, you need to agree with the things that he's doing. Yeah. And for most of it, I find myself, whereas with with um, District 9, I was with him almost all the way. Yeah. I almost left a Matt Damon's character like, in the first 10 minutes, he was just being such a dick that it just didn't really help me kind of keep the hooks in me. Yeah. And um, and obviously his idea for um, Alien was to continue on and have... From Ripley, Aliens. Have, from Aliens and have um, Newton Hicks not be dead. Yeah. And those ideas of, you know, spending a bit t- more time with those characters. Really interested what, he, what he'll do with this one. And Ridley Scott was like, no, sorry, I'll make Prometheus instead. That's not going to Prometheus right now. You try and you're <laughs> more editorializing towards <laughs> your. What I'm here for, anti, isn't it? Anti Prometheus agenda. Anti everything. Um, um, yeah, but the fact that it's it's taken from a script by the original writers that I know Neil Blomkamp will obviously be quite beholden to that material as well mm-hmm. because it's it's clear that his work is 
highly influenced by the sort of extreme sci-fi he was exposed to and it feels to me that that means it's got to be a you know an 18 rated true return to Robocop to be honest I'm a Robocop 2 apologist um, I don't mind it for me it was the one where they went actually let's let's kind of secretly make this a bit for kids even though it's still ultra violent yeah Robocop 2 felt very much like yeah I mean I know and it's also a Frank a Frank Miller scripted mm. Robocop yeah as well so no, yeah I don't have anything against it's, it's, it it's, it's it's very comic booky I know it didn't I, I still think it had those elements of of critiquing mm. you know American com- commercial culture and and the, the yeah. rise of you know then the early days of 24 hour news media and things like that still had a lot to say about that although maybe the the, the politics are slightly mixed up in the fact that um, Frank Miller is very much on the gun toting yeah. Republican side of things <laughs> <laughs> whereas I guess Paul Verhoeven is um, is much more interested in exploring the the, 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 the damaging effects of well the adverts are much more sort of much more prevalent aren't they and two yes the, the um, it's that someone with the sunscreen isn't it yeah it says yeah, might yeah, may yeah. cause cancer if you yeah. use it too much and yeah, things like really, that yeah. yeah it's cool I wonder whether he'll bring Nancy back as um, as Robo's partner but yeah. there, there's a there's a lot of trouble I mean that was the other trouble thing is like you, you're, you're essentially having to recast from mm. all of it you yeah. know the, I'm wondering who they're going to replace yeah um, Peter Peter with Peter. Peter. Uh, Peter. 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 Uncle Peter. <laughs> um, it was replaced Peter with and, and yeah, Nancy and I mean they're, they're the sort of critical too, aren't they? Yeah. Well I would normally be very much like fuck this. You know, they've been um Escape from New York remake rumours around for so long and I'm really against those, but sudden suddenly I'm for I'm up for watching the new Robocop. Yeah, I like it because, you know, it's like, we're going to take the suit back to how it was. Because the suit didn't need changing. There's always this thing where there's like, oh, I can put a spin on it. And then the audacity of it, like, oh, let's do it in black. And all of of that where it's like, oh, we're we're doing a a sly nod to the original. But then we're basically saying, fuck you. Fuck the original even more. We've got this new sleeker thing. And it's just like, no, it's charmless. It needs to be clunky. He needs to be awkward. That's part of the fucking joke the Paul Verhoeven have like, and you he's can meant see to... him it looks more visually exciting as yeah. well rather than... you can see all his parts but yeah. it's like the future of law enforcement is this slightly sort of clunky weird ninja robot. can't turn properly and now, mm. yeah and then in the new one he is like this awesome force of nature type thing yeah. so yeah what's the next news Very item Alex <laughs> well it's the finest the final news item and I wanted to talk a little bit to close the show about the controversy with James Gunn being oh, fired God. from Disney. Oh, um, God. Severed ties um, over a blog, I believe it is. It was a wrote. series of tweets and um, other things. And a blog that had uh, some long-form yes. uh, versions of these jokes. They um, were known to Disney, apparently, before they must have known, or what the, you know, it he'd, be, he'd already apologized for yeah. them. You know, he'd already got rid of them. He'd already seen the error of his ways. Ugh, there's very, li- I mean, to be honest, there's very little to say about this other than this ongoing toxic alt right community. The the guy who's it, Mark Servich, who's mm-hmm. the guy who led the hunt. 
the very fact that he's the guy that also instigated Pizzagate, that he was a you know a core figure in the Gamergate movement, should immediately just disqualify him from any credibility whatsoever. And the fact yeah. that Disney paid any attention to him, that he maintains that this like, oh, there's a pedo ring in Hollywood, I'm just calling it as I see it. Whereas he himself is a noted sort of sex, sexual uh, abuser, rape apologist, mm. fucking moron. You know he's in league with the likes of Four Chan and on the 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 Pulse sub uh, was it the Pulse subreddit I think as well or the Pulse sub channel um, scum scum just scum. subhuman scum like absolute fucking ball bag who conveniently dug up this stuff after he wrote some anti-Trump tweets like every other celebrity and now there's a lot of other people in this industry who are now being badgered because mm. someone's pulled up something they said years and years ago that was also clearly in fucking jest whether you know whether the humor was you know um acceptable or not yeah but it, it was definitely verging on the offensive and you've now got this all right saying oh so you know we can say we we do racist jokes and we can't get away with it but they can do child abuse jokes and they can get away mm. with it and all this but as everyone said that someone who used to work for like trauma who deals in like bad taste yeah um but it's no worse than ricky gervais is it no not not really not at all because it's all done with a sort not of at all. it's all done with a knowing wink and you know that person in real life would never dream of committing those acts or promoting those mm. acts or doing any of that they're, they're, and it takes very little scratching at the uh, at the surface to realize that i mean with to, any with any modicum of intelligence but they know that what what they yeah, deal with is faux outrage yeah. as as a means of pushing their, weaponizing outrage by uh, oh look at the language look at that while at the same time pushing a far more insidious agenda yeah. of suppressing everyone who isn't a white male yeah um the and I, i'm actually appalled at disney for doing such a knee-jerk reaction to this i, I think, think they'll fix it i think it'll, it'll get turned around i, I, I don't know there, there are petitions there are things like you know frankly for me my second viewing of guardians 2 was actually revealed that the film is quite a monumental disappointment that removes a lot of the charm of the first film Agreed. so my you know, I don't like the circumstances that is removed from the film, but I almost feel like it was time for him to pass the mantle on anyway, um, and and not Interesting. and not have that ownership of the film. I don't think James, it, it's worked so well for the other Disney, sorry Disney, but the Marvel films, same thing. Mm. It's worked so well for the Marvel things that sometimes they're they're passed about. Yeah. Um, to let people in the same way that the comics themselves always pass the different artists and writers to provide their spin on the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think give it longevity. Yeah. I think, I think James Gunn ran with some really terrible jokes in the second film. I think it spent too much of its time being about nothing. I think it had a reveal that was way too obvious. It was a, we watched it together at the cinema and it was mm. a great group viewing experience. Yeah, yeah. Then I watched it home with my wife and I was like, the whiz bangery of it was sort of diminished somewhat. And you, I was able to focus on yeah, yeah. it, it is a film, uh, and it and it really sort of let me down in 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 that regard. So yeah, I mean, this is not how James Gunn should have been removed from the film. I just think the film in the first place should have been offered up to a different creative team anyway. Yeah, but that's that's beside the point. It's like I I just don't think um, his firing is in any way just, mm. um, and and what it's now sparking just makes me depressed to continue being in any way involved in social media or the internet at the moment as, as so many other things are doing 
Well, I think that you were reticent to talk about it as a point, and I think that we have justified that we have talked about it. I think let this be nothing more than a record of fuck anyone yeah. that thinks that kind of weaponization of people's feelings is in any way justified. The ends do not justify the means no. in any way. And I just, rather than discuss it, because we're both completely in agreement, just for it to be a record out there that will be on a podcast, that will be on the internet, that someone may happen across. It's just there were two guys in a room that think that that was fucking bullshit. Yeah. And that's it. If you're the kind of person that revels in this sort of destroying people's lives and careers because you are effectively a sociopath who's jealous of their success and you're finding any means necessary to, to ruin their lives um, because you yourself lack one, then fuck you and stop listening to this podcast. Thanks, bye. Quite simply, don't. Yeah, you are not welcome here. Um, I'm going to uh, read a poem to finish podcast it is by the american poet mark strand and was featured at the end of the murakami book of the um of the underground um oh the the sarin gas attack yes yeah yeah which i very heartily heartily recommend we've given up on our um recommendations <laughs> too much um also quickly recommend the mortimer and white house um bbc fishing oh program. my god yeah that's my um, favorite just favorite, get it on on, on iplayer don't won't talk about it anymore just watch it but yes, this is from that it's book. It's on demand, it counts. It does, it does. Um, this is from that book, and it, I will use it to close out our podcast. And all that remains before I read it is um, to say thank you to you, Dan. Thank you. Um, that was good fun. It was. And this it always is. is called An Old Man Awake in His Own Death. This is the place that was promised when I went to sleep, taken from me when I woke. This is the place unknown to anyone, where names of ships and stars drift out of reach. The mountains are not mountains anymore, the sun is not the sun. One tends to forget how it was. I see myself, I see. The shore of darkness on my brow, once I was whole, once I was young, as if it mattered now. And you could hear me, and the weather of this place would ever cease. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.